Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Yeah, I would like for you to open your Bibles to the book of Jude as we continue our study in this wonderful and enlightening little book of the Bible. To the book of Jude, and let me ask you a question. If you knew that you were getting ready to march right in to the camp of the enemy, right into the face, right into the teeth of the enemy, wouldn't you want some good, strong, dependable soldiers all around you? I mean, men you can count on. Well, that's kind of the way I feel this morning. I want to invite the men of the church who will join me to come up here and, and get on your knees at the altar with me, and I want us together. Come on, don't wait for somebody else. Come on, we're going to pray together, and then uh, uh, I want you to have my back as we march into the enemy camp today uh, because that's what the Word of God uh, is going to do for us today, and that's where it's going to lead us. If you will, come on, I need a microphone right here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Always love it when the men come to the altar. Where's Al? Brother, lead us. Lead us in this. Father, we thank you for your spirit, God. God, we thank you for your love, Lord. As men, Lord God, we honor you, Lord. We We honor you, God. We humble ourselves down, God. And God... You're our witness this morning, Lord. You are a provider, Lord God. You're more than enough, Lord God. And we just ask you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to come in, Lord, and strengthen us, Lord, as men, Lord, as leaders, Lord, as though, Lord, those who aren't scared to go into the fire, Lord. Those who aren't scared, Lord God, Lord, to go in places, Lord God, That, Lord God, only you can call us, Lord. Only you can stir us, Lord. Only you, Lord God, can give us what we need on this morning, Lord God. Lord, stir up the gift on the inside of us, Lord. God, we need your courage, Lord. Lord, we need your help, Lord God. God, we're crying out to you, Lord God. Gird us up, Lord God. Equip us, Lord. Give us the strength that we need on this morning, Lord. Lord, let us open up our hearts, Lord God, to hear the word, Lord. Open up our ears, Lord God, because, Lord, we need sound doctrine, Lord God, in this, in this time, Lord God. Lord, we need your truth, God. Cover us, Lord God. And, Lord God, as we witness to the word, Lord, we witness to what you speak on this morning, Lord. Let us live it out, Lord. As men, Lord, let us lead our families, Lord God. Let us be the ones that lead on the job, God. Let us be the center of influence, Lord God, as we carry out your will. In Jesus' name, amen. And praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. 
I believe even the Lord enjoys all those moans and groans when these old men are getting up from the altar because we've been on our knees. You should have your Bibles open to the book of Jude. And I'll begin reading in just a moment in verse 5. Uh, but I want to give you a review of what we've learned so far, and I'll try to do this quickly, and I'll try to stick close to my notes here. Already in our study of the book of Jude, we have learned that before the end of the first century, there were deceivers who were pretending to be right with God. People who acted like they loved the Lord, but, were, were, but, but they were distorting and perverting His teachings. Jude says they have turned the grace of God into lewdness. They were saying it's all right to sin and live in sin because God's grace covers that. Sounds familiar? People are still teaching such things today, but all who do so are deceived and deceivers. We've also learned that these deceivers are not just on the outside of the church. Many were already on the inside. Jude said they have slipped in unnoticed. And he says something else that's disturbing. He says they were marked out for this condemnation. You get the impression as you read this that these are chosen vessels who have been sent into the church for the purpose of disrupting and destroying the ministry of the church. It's not hard for us today to believe that God has chosen vessels that He uses for good so it shouldn't be hard for us to believe that there are chosen vessels marked out for evil and for the work of the enemy. Jude says, they are among us. And Jude says, in these first four verses, he said, I wanted to talk to you about our common salvation, but I found it necessary because of these deceivers who are already on the inside of the church to write to you and ask you to earnestly contend for the faith. To stand up for the faith. One translation says to defend the faith. Another translation says fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us. Jude is simply encouraging those who are on the side of good and on the side of God to stand up against evil. You've heard this quote many times, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Jude is calling on the true believers to do something, to take a stand. Now, that was in the first four verses. Now today as we begin in verse 5, Jude, the writer of this book, talks about Jesus, the Savior, bringing the whole world into judgment. And that's the title of the message, Jude, Jesus, and Judgment. And he uses a number of illustrations to remind us that our God is a God of judgment. Now friends, the world doesn't like that anymore. The world doesn't think our God is a God of judgment or that He will bring people into judgment. But we need to listen to God's Word and not the world around us. There's a a humorous story about the legendary Babe Ruth who uh, was at the plate one day. He always electrified the crowd. 
They were always excited when he was up to bat because he hit so many home runs. Babe Ruth was at the plate. The umpire behind the plate was named Pinelli. Babe Ruth has two strikes on him. And the crowd just knew that this next one was out of the park. And he's ready. The pitcher fires the ball. Babe Ruth watches it. He never even swings at it. Obviously confident that it was a ball. Pinelli says, strike! And when he did, the entire stadium went into an uproar. They began to scream and shout and boo and, and say ugly things to the umpire. That's when Babe Ruth turned to Pinelli. And he said, Pinelli, there are 40,000 people in these stands who know that that was not a strike. That was a ball. Pinelli said, maybe so, babe, but mine is the only opinion that counts. And that was a strike, and you are out. Well, friends, I shared that story with you because I want you to understand that there's only one opinion that counts. And that's God's opinion. And we're being inundated with people who are soft-soaping the truth of God's Word. They're making it, they're cleaning it up, they're whitewashing it, if you please. They're making it sound like something that it's not. Yes, there's good and grand and glorious and magnificent things in the Word of God, but there are some things in the Word of God that sting and hurt and are difficult to deal with, but they are just as much the Word of God as the other. What I want you to do is just get ready to hear God's Word and to hear God's opinion today. This is what God has to say about judgment. We're studying the book of Jude. Jude is going to talk to us about our Savior Jesus and the judgment that He Himself will bring at the end of the age. Now, let's begin in verse 5. should have your Bibles open to Jude. We'll begin in verse 5. Jude says, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this. By the way, doesn't that sound like a modern day preacher? I want to remind you of this. Even though you once knew this, this is something you already know. You've already learned this, but you need to be reminded of it. We'd all raise our hands today to say there are times we need to be reminded of things we've already learned. So that's what he says. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, and here's what he wants to remind them about, has to do with judgment, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now listen. He saved them. He delivered them. He brought them out of bondage. He brought them out of captivity. He brought them out of slavery. He saved them. He redeemed them. In a worldly sense, He brought them out. But what Jude is saying, I want you to remember that many of the people that he saved and delivered and brought out of earthly bondage, he eventually judged and he destroyed them because of unbelief. How is it that God could help you and deliver you and do a great work in your life and then later judge you and destroy you? Well, friends, if you read your Bible, you'll understand you see, the blessings of God do not equate salvation. 
The Bible says it rains on the just and on the unjust. The Bible teaches us that God is good to all of us. And the point, even with the children of Israel that Jude is trying to make, is this. And that is that God may bless you, God may help you, God may deliver you, God may heal you, God may come to your rescue. But if all the goodness and all the grace and all the mercy of God does not at some point in your life bring you to a place where you believe in Him with all of your heart and you give Him your heart, then the blessings of God will not save you in the end. You have to know Him personally. You have to repent of your sins. What God has done for you, the good things God has done for you, will not get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is when you give Him your heart and you believe. It says God judged them because of their unbelief. What Jude wants them to understand is that the church has deceivers in it, but God will judge these deceivers because they don't really believe. Let's look at verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, meaning they did not stay in the place where God had put them and the place that God designed for them, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Man, angels? He's saying God judged the children of Israel after he brought them out of bondage, and he judged the angels after he created them? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would be like to be an angel of God? To be able to see God, to be able to live in His domain, to be able to enter right into the courts of God and worship Him, to be able to serve Him and be at His service, to live in the kingdom of God. Can can you imagine? Man, I've done a lot of study in my lifetime on angels. Can you just imagine what it would be like to be an angel? They're incredibly strong. The Bible tells us of one case where one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel. Man, these angels are strong. I'm telling you, the Hulk, (laughs) Spider-Man, Superman, all the other heroes together wouldn't be able to stand a chance against one angel. They're incredibly strong, incredibly powerful, amazingly beautiful. Every description you find in the Bible, they're glowing and glorious and magnificent. Angels. And how about this? They can fly. Wouldn't you love to be an angel? By the way, to say an angel can fly really does not do them justice. A bird can fly, but angels can move between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. Angels can go about the universe at will. There can be instant dispatch with these angels. They can be in heaven one moment and on earth the next moment. They can be invisible. The Bible says they can be among us. It teaches us. On one occasion, the prophet prayed for a young prophet boy and he said, open their eyes that he may see. And he opened his eyes and what he couldn't see before, now he sees tens of thousands of angels surrounding them. Oh, friends, the the song that James was uh, singing a moment ago, God can have angels around you and you can't even see them. Can you imagine what it would be like to be an angel? The Bible says that that they they can be invisible if they want to be. How about that? There are times I'd like to be invisible. 
Can you imagine how much fun you could have if you were invisible at times? Now, I don't want to be invisible all the time, but at some time, that, that would be nice. And, and then they can manifest themselves as human beings, just like us at times. Did you know there could be an angel in physical form among us right now? We wouldn't even know it. We'd just think somebody just slipped into the service. Don't start looking around. But can you imagine? But what I'm trying to say is these magnificent, glorious, created beings of God who did not keep their first place of assignment, God has judged them and they're being held in everlasting chains and darkness awaiting the judgment. What is Jude doing? He's giving illustration after illustration after illustration as we go through this about the fact that God is a God of judgment. I really do want to ask you, when was the last time you heard a message on the judgment of God? When is the last time you heard somebody talk about the dangers of standing before a holy God ill-prepared? We don't like sermons on hell. We don't like sermons on judgment. We don't like sermons that point us to a time when we'll give an, an account for the way we've lived. But Jude deals with that. Let's go to verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Now we know what that's talking about, don't we? The hot topic today that's talking about homosexuality. And set forth an example. Sodom and Gomorrah sets forth an example for us that there is suffering to follow that if you disobey God. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Wow. God judged the children of Israel when He brought them out of Egypt. God judged the angels that He created. God judged a wicked city called Sodom and Gomorrah. Our God is a God of love and compassion and mercy and grace and salvation and redemption, but He's also a God of judgment. And we've forgotten that. Do we need to be reminded of something that we've already learned? That God is a God of judgment. I grew up right here in this county. And from the time I was a young boy, I heard my mom tell this story. And I was so interested in it, I even asked people about it in one day, and I look back now and I think the Lord orchestrated this because he knew one day where I'd be standing and what I'd be doing. But I ran into a man who was an eyewitness to the story I'm about to tell you. There was a construction site in Wakulla County, and there was one man on that construction site, and he was an evil and a wicked man. He was always blaspheming God and cursing and making fun of Christians. And it just got so bad that it, just every day, all day long, he was blaspheming God. And finally, the guys on the construction site said, listen, we've had enough. You've got to stop this. You've got to stop this. And he said to them, according to this eyewitness that was there, he began to laugh at them and he called them fools. He said, there is no God. There is no God and God can't do anything to me because he doesn't even exist. And he blasphemed God more and he just laughed with a devilish laugh. And then they all went back to work. And this man told me, he said, there was not one cloud in the sky. And they went back to work. Nobody was talking. 
said within about an hour, one small little dark cloud came overhead. One little bolt of lightning came out of that cloud, hit that one man, and he sprawled out on the ground. He said he lit up like a light bulb. It looked like he was on fire. And he said, we backed off. These are his words, and this is exactly the way he's told me. He said, we backed off. Not a man would touch him because we knew God had killed him. We don't have an appetite for that kind of language anymore, do we? We understand that God will save you, but we don't believe that God will kill somebody anymore. But friends, we've departed from the Word of God. And today I want to march into the enemy's camp, into the territory of his lies and his deceptions. And I want to tell you that our God is a God of judgment. And there are times when God will take a person out when they step over the line. Somebody might say, well, I believe that was a coincidence. I can tell you that the people that were there that day didn't believe that. They believe Almighty God said that's enough. That's enough. You stepped over the line. Now granted, I believe, as you do, that most of the time, God does not execute that kind of judgment in the hearing. Now there comes a day when He does. But sometimes people step over the line. In the book, Down to Earth, written by John Lawrence, he told a story about Messina, Sicily. In 1908, Messina was a wicked place. He even compared it to Sodom and Gomorrah. He said it probably wasn't as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. About 150,000 people lived in Messina. And they had become wicked and rebellious and ungodly. And on December the 25th, 1908, Christmas Day, the day that the whole world should have been worshiping a Savior. Their local newspaper there in Messina published a blasphemous article. In the article, it said there is no God, there is no judgment, God is not real, He doesn't exist, he, He's the figment of, of people's minds. We've created Him. None of it is true. And the last statement in the article said this, If there really is a God, let Him manifest Himself by sending an earthquake to Messina. That was December 25th. 1908. Three days later, on December the 28th, 1908, a major earthquake hit Messina. It lasted less than one minute. But in that one minute, the earth began to shake and buildings began to collapse. Simultaneously, while that is happening there in Messina, right offshore, there was an earthquake that threw a tsunami 39 feet tall that hit Messina. 
and 84,000 people died. You might want to fasten your seatbelts because of what I'm about to tell you. I read some articles on this. I went back and did some research on it. read some articles and some of them went like this. Who would want to serve a God that would do such a thing? I'll tell you who would want to serve a God who would do such a thing. Every last one of us. And every human being that's ever lived on this planet. Because the same God that loves you, the same God that sent His Son to die for you, the same God that wants to redeem you and wants to spend eternity with you, that same God will judge you in a manner that you will not be able to believe one day if you reject His love and turn Him down. Again, I'm being honest. I'm guilty here. When was the last time you heard a sermon like this? We just don't like it, do we? Wow. All right. Let's move on before all of you leave. <laughs> we'll begin... Uh, Look in verse 8. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority. Now he's talking about likewise. He said just, just like the children of Israel that didn't come to belief, just like the angels who altered their estate, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 8. Likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you, but these speak evil of what they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things they corrupt themselves. He says that they are brazen. They are blasphemous. They are, they are, dis, are dis, disrespectful. They don't mind God or anybody else. And then he says in verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily, and they are of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now I'll come back to that verse in just a moment, but let's keep reading. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars uh, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men saying, and you've got to love this, friends. If you're a child of God, you've got to love this. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. I tell you, I cannot read that verse. I read it all the time. But I cannot read those two verses without thinking about Revelation, the 19th chapter. Now I saw the heavens open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war, and the armies of heaven followed him in white robes, riding on white horses, and on his robe and on his thigh were written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, you see, friends, Jude's talking about the same thing that John was talking about in Revelation, the 19th chapter. By the way, 
The Bible says we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. The, the Bible says that we shall all give an account of every idle word. The Bible says that God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Anybody ready for an invitation right now? It's frightening stuff, isn't it? But it is the Bible. And by the way, the Bible also says that God will no longer judge us. He has committed all judgment over to the Son. And Jesus is the one who will do the judging. Now, by the way, there's a point where you should jump and shout just a little bit. Because if you know the one who saved you is also the one who's going to judge you, man, whew, praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get excited about that. Because he is coming and he will judge. Verse 16 says, these are grumblers, complainers walking according to their own lust. Who's he talking about? These ungodly people who are going to be judged. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Wow. Well, this may be a short book, but isn't it powerful? Now, let, let's, go, let's go back to, to verse 11. In, in verse 11, he says concerning these deceivers, he says, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. What he's doing is he's comparing these modern-day deceivers in the church to three people in the Old Testament, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. If you don't know their stories, it is really worth going back and studying it. I can't give you a full uh, report today, but let me just tell you this. Let's start with Cain. Cain was the first-born son of Adam and Eve. And Cain was willing to worship God. Cain wanted to worship God. He was willing to worship God. He even tried to worship God. But the problem with Cain was this. He wanted to worship God his own way. He wanted to do it the way he wanted to do it. And when God rejected his worship, it made him angry and it made him jealous and he ended up killing his own brother Abel. Bottom line, you can't worship God your own way. God never has given us that latitude. You don't get to worship God any way you want to worship Him. You see, Cain tried that. These deceivers in the early church tried that. People are still trying it today. But you can't worship God any way you want to worship Him. If you worship God, you have to worship Him the way He wants to be worshipped. And there is no mystery to this. The Bible tells us exactly how God wants us to worship Him and the only way we can worship Him. You see, what we learn from Cain and Abel and all through the Bible is the only way, the right way to worship God is by way of a blood sacrifice. 
Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And friends, I tell you, that's the reason in this church here at River of Life, when we come in, we come in holding on to the cross, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. We mention the blood sacrifice often over and over because we understand that our worship is made acceptable to the Father because there has been a blood sacrifice on our behalf. The pure, holy, spotless Lamb of God died on the cross for us. He died for us. He became our sacrifice and nothing else will get us into the presence of God. Nothing at all. And, and, and so Jude is saying that people who go in the way of Cain are trying to worship God some other way. Jude says that's what these deceivers are doing. We still have people today who want to worship God, but they don't want to do it through Jesus and through the blood sacrifice. And then he, he goes on to Balaam. He says, uh, these deceivers have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Balaam was a prophet in the Old Testament, but he was a prophet for gain. That's what the Bible tells us about him. You probably remember the story of Balaam. What is it about Balaam you remember? He had a donkey that could talk. Actually, I don't think he talked all the time. I think it was just a one-time thing. But this prophet was so dense and so dull that God opened the mouth of a dumb animal to speak to him. And i got to tell you, friends, when you are a prophet of God and God has to open the mouth of a dumb animal to speak to you, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. And, and his donkey actually talked to him. And according to the Bible, the donkey saved his life. Saved his life. But you see, Balaam was a prophet for profit. Balaam was like Cain. He was willing to worship God, but he was worshiping God for what he could get out of it. You, you see, with Balaam, it was all about his own prosperity. Y'all serve God but I'll do it for what I can get out of it. Here's the bottom line, friends. The bottom line is you can worship God, or you can try to worship God, but if you worship God for what you get out of it, you're not worshiping God at all. I want to say that one more time. If you're worshiping God for what you get out of it, you're not worshiping God at all. You're worshiping you and using God. That's what you're doing. And, and Jude says that these individuals are like Balaam. They're worshiping God for what they can get out of it. Now, listen, I don't need anybody to straighten me out after the service. I know there's great gain and great blessings in serving God. I know there are many wonderful benefits from serving God, but your motive for serving and worshiping God can't be you. It has to be Him. And, and, and you worship God, not just when you are being blessed and God is pouring out riches on you. You see, you worship God. Not just in the good times, but in the bad times. You worship God when it costs you everything. 
You worship God when it messes everything up. Listen, there's some of you right here today, when you truly start worshiping God, it'll mess everything up in your life. It'll turn everything upside down. You worship God, not because it profits you. You worship God because He's worthy of your worship. And I can tell you, friends, the rest of the world understands this much better than you and I do. There are tens of thousands of Christians around the world right now that are being persecuted and ostracized and looked down on. They're being imprisoned. They're being martyred for their faith. And I can tell you, they're not worshiping God for what they get out of it. They're not worshiping God for profit. They're worshiping God and it's making their lives a living hell on earth. But they're worshiping God because He's worthy. And because they believe He's faithful. And because they believe this world is temporal. And they're willing to give up everything in this life. Because they believe that He who promised is faithful. See, that's the difference. And, and what Jude is saying is that these deceivers are like Cain. They want to worship God, but they want to do it their own way. They're like Balaam. They want to worship God, but they're doing it for profit. And then there's one more he gives. He says that they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, Korah was the leader of a group of 250 people who rebelled against Moses in the wilderness. You, you can go back and read all about this in the Old Testament, but basically Korah had a confrontation with Moses. I, I don't know about you, but I just can't imagine getting in the face of Moses. Korah had a confrontation with Moses. Do you know what Korah said to Moses? You're not the only one who can hear from God. The whole congregation is holy. The Lord is on the whole congregation. The Lord can speak to all of us. Moses, we want to worship God, but you're not the only one God can speak to. He can speak to us just as good as He can speak to you. Wow. You see, Korah was willing to worship God, but listen to me, very important. Korah was willing to worship God, but Korah was not willing to submit to God-appointed leadership. And the bottom line is this, friends, in the church of Jesus Christ, there's order, there's protocol, there's God-ordained positions of leadership in the church. And if you're going to worship God, if you really worship God, there will be times, many times, when you, when all of us, all of us, nobody's excluded from this, when all of us will have to submit to someone whom God has chosen to lead in that situation. We have to submit. It doesn't mean that that person's better than us. It doesn't mean that they're smarter than us. It doesn't mean that they have more talent than we have. It doesn't even mean they're more spiritual than we are. It just means that God in His sovereignty has chosen them to lead out at that moment in that time. And God says, if you're going to worship me, you have to honor those I put in leadership. You see, friends, in the church of Jesus Christ, nobody 
Nobody gets to go it alone. No. People try to tell you that, but they don't. Nobody gets to be a lone ranger. Nobody gets to be an independent agent and ignore the leadership of others. Nobody in the church of Jesus Christ, friends. We have to work together. We have to encourage one another. We have to submit to one another. We, we have to cooperate. God demands that out of his family. And, and, and you see, as you, as you read this, you begin to understand that Jude is saying these deceivers are like the rebellion of Korah. They will never follow God-appointed leadership. I want to tell you, America is full of people today who want to worship God, but they want to do it their own way. America's full of people who want to worship God, but they're in it just for what they can get out of it. And America is full of people who want to worship God, but they will not submit to anybody that God has appointed in leadership. And what Jude tells us is this, friends, that people who are like Cain and Balaam and Korah, they are deceivers. They're ungodly. And one day Jesus is coming again. And one day he will judge. By the way, I, I, I would really like to just kind of cut it off right there and leave it for you to go back and search for yourself. But Cain was judged. He had a curse placed upon him. He was marked for the rest of his life. Balaam, the prophet of God. Listen to this. Do you know, you know what happened to him? He was killed by the sword of an Israelite soldier. A prophet of God. And by the way, it was ordained of God. And Korah, you don't even want to hear about Korah. Korah died when the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and the entire rebellion. They died. God. God did that. What is Jude saying? Jude is saying that the judgment of Jesus is coming for these deceivers. He talks about God's judgment of the children of Israel who were brought out of Egypt, God's judgment of angels, God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. He talks about God's judgment against Cain, God's judgment against Balaam, God's judgment against Korah. He's saying God is going to judge. Our Lord Jesus Christ is coming again and He will judge. Jesus will return and He will judge and destroy the ungodly. The one who came to save the world is also coming back to judge the world. The Bible could not be more graphic. The first time he came, he came like a lion. I mean like a lamb. The next time he comes, he's coming like a lion. The first time he came, he came to be a sacrifice for sins. The next time, he will come to judge and to destroy Wow. Now, if all that is depressing, then I got some good news for you. Are you ready for the best news you've ever heard in your life? It is not judgment day yet. 
That's like the best news you could hear this morning. It's not judgment day yet. We still live in the day of grace. This is the time when men can repent of their sins and turn to the Lord. And I still love that passage of Scripture that says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to stand before God on judgment day. And I tell you that what we want to do when we stand there is we want to know that we have repented of our sins. We've trusted Jesus with all of our heart. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.